Today we're going to talk about um, the title of today's message is El Cano. El Cano, Jealous God. But anyhow, let's go to the scripture reading. The scripture reading today will be Exodus chapter 20, verses 4, and then we're going to go halfway through verse 5. All right, so let's go. Verse 4, Exodus 20, verse 4. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. That's where I'm stopping right there. For I, the Lord your God, is a jealous God. So as I said, the Hebrew word for that is kana, but it's pronounced kano. So it's kano. And um, there's also kano, which means um, jealous. So kano means jealous, zealous, or envy. Kana means jealous or angry. So one is a derivative of the other. So if you want to use def, define the word kano or jealous, it's angry, zealous, or envious. Okay? So if you think you hear that word jealous, we always put it with the connotations of a romantic thing. Like somebody's, uh, a lover might be jealous if somebody else is given somebody else attention or a husband is jealous of a wife. We tend to use it in a romantic context. But the actual definition of jealous, it means anger, it means envy. Okay? So, and there's anything that can cause you to be jealous. So we will talk, we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, <clears throat> so the Lord is saying, don't make for yourselves any carved image. In other words, don't make anything that I have created an idol where you will go and worship it. Give it your attention. Okay? Because I am jealous. This makes me angry. It makes me envious. Now in Exodus 34, let's go to Exodus 34 real quick. I have to read a little bit of this so you can see the context of this. Verse 10, and he said, this is the Lord speaking to Moses, Behold, I make a covenant. And before I continue, when I say covenant, about four or five, six Sundays ago, I was talking about covenant. A covenant is a contract or an agreement or will, a testament. So, in this context, we're using it as a contract or agreement. Behold, I make a covenant before all your people. I will do marvelous, such as marvels, such as have not been known or done in all the earth, nor in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. 
Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I am driving out from before you the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. He hasn't done it yet. He's calling those things that be not as all they were already are because that's his plan. That's what he's going to do. He said, Behold, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to do something that the nations of the world have never seen with you. And behold, I'm driving these people out. Take heed to yourself, verse 12, lest you make a covenant or a contract with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, lest it be a snare in your midst. But you shall destroy their altars, break, break their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they play the harlot with, with, with their gods, and make sacrifice to their gods, and one of them invites you, and you eat of his sacrifice. And you take of his daughters for your sons, and his daughters play the harlot with their gods, and make your sons play the harlot with their gods. The Lord is saying, I'm, gonna, I'm making a covenant with all the people, not just some, all of these people. I'm making a covenant. I'm making an agreement. And I'll do things with them, for them, that no other nation in the world has ever seen. Nothing like this has ever been done. He goes on to say what he is going to do, or what he is doing. But he said, be careful. Take heed to yourself. Because you don't want to get caught up in the practices of the inhabitants of this land. Why? Because you're going to get caught up doing and practicing what they do, which is a contrary to what I desire for your life. So listening, and if you read through the, you know, you look through, go through the Old Testament and you go through the whole Bible, you see something very important about the character of God. The Lord takes covenant and relationship extremely seriously. You hear what I just said? The Lord takes covenant, relationship, seriously. He is committed to the relationship and He's all in and not half-hearted. When God gives His word to us, when He makes a promise, when He makes a covenant, when He makes an agreement, it's not a half-hearted attempt. He is all in. So he's committed to the relationship. He's all in, not half-hearted. He intends to keep his word. In Isaiah 55:11, the word of God says, So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereto I send it. Very powerful. Why? Because whatever, and you'll see, you'll see why it's important and why God tells us about what we say. Because every word that comes out of God's mouth, He just doesn't speak a word just to speak it. When He says something, that what He has spoken must happen. You understand? Whatever it comes out of God's mouth, must happen. 
In Deuteronomy 4.23 and Deuteronomy 6.10-12 You don't have to turn, I'm going to read it. He said, Take heed to yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which He made with you. Now this is after what He just said. Which He made with you. He's reminding them. And make for yourself a carved image in the form of anything which the Lord your God has forbidden you. Take heed. I'm warning you. Be careful. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers. He swore. Who swore? God swore to the fathers that he's going to bring them into a land. So what God says, he swore he is going to bring it to pass. To give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewed out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, when you have eaten and are full, so when you are satisfied, reaping the benefits for efforts that you didn't do, beware, lest you forget who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage into this promised land. Into this area where I promised that I would take you. Now if you think about God's promises. He made the promise to Moses and he made a promise to the people. But if you think back, God made this promise way before that. He made this, said this in the garden when he said to the serpent, the seed of the woman is going to bruise your heel. He already declared what was going to happen. All these things that are unfolding is from what God had already declared in the beginning. Even before God created anything, God knew the beginning and the end and the plan of God was already established. The creation of Adam was the unfolding of God's plan, the start. So God is just reinforcing and letting Abraham know and Moses and Isaac he's passing on as the generations come closer and closer and flow through chronologically he's just reinforcing what he had already promised. Think about that. God is not in for the short haul. He's in it for the long haul. So what he has said in the beginning is what will come to pass. You don't have to believe it. The world doesn't have to believe it. What God says will happen. Why? Because that's who He is. And you will understand as we go, you'll see why it's important that what comes out of His mouth happens. Okay, so, the Lord does not make empty promises. If He did, what will our faith be based on? If, what, if God makes empty promises then our faith will be what? Meaningless. Why? Because it has nothing consistent or no foundation on which our base our faith upon. Okay? Very important why God has to, when He says, when He says what comes out of His mouth has to come to pass. Now think about any of our relationships that we are involved in and the people to whom we make promises and who make promises to us. What about somebody who is very close to you? Husband and wife. Very good friends. Close friends. Been friends for a long, long time. 
What about that? Have we made commitments to them? We have. And when I say commitments, it could be anything that you say, hey, you know what? I got your back. I'll be there. I'll be at the hospital. I'll come and help you move furniture. All this. We say what we're going to do, right? What is the impact of not doing what you say we do with somebody who is so close to you? What is the impact of that person? If somebody is close to you, made a commitment to you, because the commitment that person makes, you're making it to me. Because if I say, hey John, i got to be out of my apartment by Sunday. Can you please volunteer your time and pick up truck to come help me so that I can get out. Chris, I got your back. I'll be there. Saturday, 10 o'clock. We, made, we agreed on a time. So I'm there waiting on John. 10 o'clock comes. I don't see John. There's no problem. He's running late. 10.30 comes. 11.30 comes. So what's going on in my head? Do you think I'm upset? Or do you think I'm angry? I'm getting angry. But the anger, because of what? A broken commitment. A broken promise. So yeah, you get angry. That's why I said it depends on how close the person is. Why do we make commitments? Why do we make commitments to others and why do we allow them to make commitments to us okay because each is looking to gain something I may not gain something right away because if I'm responding to what she wants I may not gain something right away she's gaining but I know when I ask in the future I will gain something because of the relationship okay all right the same with God the father his plan is to have sons like him, children like him, those who know good and evil, but chooses to submit to him and do good. Not like the angels, but we are being made superior to the angels. Because he talks about Jesus, he said, he made him lower than the angels. What is man that thou was mindful of him, or the son of man? Because God made man lower than the angels. However, his plan is to give man an inheritance and call them sons, children. That is higher than the angels. When you're a son, you're higher, a son of God, you're higher than the angels because Jesus now is what? The resurrected Lord, which is what? Above the angels. Above all God's creation, which is the angels. And we now, in Christ, are seated in Him. So we also are in Christ Above the angels. Above principalities and above powers. We didn't earn it. Think about what God invested in to have to make this possible for our lives. This was God's plan when he created Adam. God's plan has not changed. And I spoke about this in Genesis 3.15 when he made, when he spoke to the serpent and he said about the seed of the woman. Now in the covenant... As I said, both have something to gain from the relationship. But what happens when you are committed to a relationship and the other partner isn't? 
or strays, loses focus or become distracted, does not hold up their end of the relationship. As I said, one becomes angry. Now, <clears throat> if you go to 1 Corinthians 10, I'll show you why. Verses 6 to 13. Now these things, what things? When he was, Paul was talking about what happened in the desert. What happens when the children of Israel were being led. Okay? And what happened in the desert with them. He said, these things became our, what? Examples. This was for our learning. To the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat, drink, rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted. And were destroyed by serpents. Or complain as some of them also complain. And were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. This was written for our learning, for our examples and for, as a warning to us those who are what? Who are near the end of the age which is us. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you will be, may be able to bear it. I always, always, always read this scripture. But I put something together. I don't know. You guys might have known this. But I saw something here I never thought of. Talking about God being a jealous God. I never saw this. He's saying here, what happened to the people of old, of Israel? What happened to them is, what is recorded is recorded to be an example to us. So we can see what befell them and why. And for us not to be caught up in the same situation as they were. Okay? And whatever they were doing. Commit sexual immorality. They were doing that. They were idolaters. They were complainers. Actually, complaining is just as bad. Okay? They were tempting or testing Christ. And what happened to many of them? Many of them died. And he said, take heed. Well, I was like, whoa, take heed. Who thinks he stands lest he fall? Now all these things angered God because their focus was not on the promise. They got distracted. That's why he warned them before in, uh, what we read in Exodus about getting caught up with the inhabitants of the land. Because you're going to get caught up. You're going to get distracted. 
all the what happens? How do you become distracted? Why did he say take let him think think he stand, take heed lest he fall? You can think you might think that you got it all together, but you're dealing with the lust of the flesh. Why did Israel serve other gods? They were tempted. The inhabitants of the land, they were tempted by the inhabitants of the, not by the inhabitants, but by the influence, the friendliness. Let's come over and eat. Let's hang out. Whatever it is, it's a temp- it becomes a temptation if you're not focused. Losing focus of the commitment. That's why. People, that's why we drift from God. That's why we drift in relationships. Because we lose focus of the commitment. And our heart, even at the moment, because if you read, if you go back and look at where Israel, uh, back in, um, uh, in Joshua, the promises they made, they said, yes, we will serve the Lord. We will serve no other God. And Joshua said to them, your, you, you, your words are a witness against you in the congregation and with God. It's a witness against you. You said that you will serve no other God. But what happens later? You get seduced. You get tempted by what? The loss of your flesh. Every time we turn away from God, every time we disobey God, every time Israel did, is the lust of the flesh. There are three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride of life. Every time you're distracted or, or focused off the commitment, is because what? Check the lust of the flesh. So when one slips, one gets mad. But with God, God is different. In the relationship, he's the steady one. He's not the one being seduced. Why? He's spirit. He's not, he's not dealing with this flesh. And we are spirit. We keep forgetting that we are spirit beings. We have to have compassion one for another. Because he says, no temptation. It's temptation that causes the people of Israel to do what they did. They complain about, oh, we got no water. We got no food. We got no leaks. We got no this. It's the lust of the flesh. They, they, they're complaining. The whole thing with sexual immorality. Well, in Egypt, that's how they did it. So we out here now, we're just going to do what we know to do. It's the lust. It's what they know. It's the lust of the flesh. So understand, every time we go against God, why does he become angry? Because we break the commitment. But why does he forgive us? Very important that you... Why does he forgive us? Because he understands our frailties and our weaknesses. There is no way God could have dealt with us now the way he did with Egypt, with, with the children of Israel. He had, Jesus had to come. I don't know if you ever heard me say this, but the children of Israel, I never ever looked down on them. Never ever. Because when you think back of... How, you think back of how they were. You really have to have pity on them. Compassion. Really. Because they didn't have the spirit of God in them. Like we did. They had to go through the high priest. 
Okay, and God only dealt with specific people. Okay? So we have to be, because it says this covenant we have is a better one. Because now God is one-on-one with each and every individual. He's one-on-one. We don't have to go through some man who's a high priest. Our high priest, the lamb, the king, everything is in one, Christ. Okay? So think about what God has invested for us, and then we're like... However, we have a better covenant, and we have grace. We still have to understand that we who have accepted Christ... We are in a covenant. Which means that we have committed ourselves to Christ and must be mindful of what we have promised. There is a temptation to stray as we, as we talk about in uh, first, first Corinthians. So why? Why is God putting up with all this? Because God knows. He knows how it will end. God already knows the beginning from the end. So what we are going through here is just the plan being unfolded. So we think, why is God this? No, God already, his, his plan is unfolding just the way he, he expected to. So that's why he's putting up with it. The, begin, the beginning and the end has already been established. He is Alpha and Omega. It all has to do with who he is. When we say he is faithful, when we say God is merciful, he's gracious, kind, patient, forgiving, what do we mean? Are those just words or religious platitudes? You listen to people. I listen to people. You know, God is faithful. You know, you're going through suffering. They say, you know, we're going through this, this, and that. Ah, they say, yeah, I know. God is faithful. You're going through it. But people, people make comments. Just give you the religious words, jargon. But do they really understand what they're saying? Do they really say what they say with meaning and really empathize with what you're going through? Or they just throw you some religious thing just to pacify you? I try, I, by my heart, I try not to do that. I try, when I, especially when people are going through things, I try not to give them fluff. You know, because it's insulting to them. To me personally. Because if I, I put myself in their position... And people, I know people just throwing religious fluff at me. I get, I get offended. Don't tell me, especially you know, if I'm going through something, don't tell me you're going to do something and don't do it. And what I'm learning is that when I say something, it has to have meaning. When God says he will do something, he will do it. That's why our faith is based on our God, when we say He's faithful, why is He faithful? Because what He says He will do, we know He's faithful to do it. So the reason for this jealousy that God has, but He has committed Himself to the relationship. God has committed Himself to the, the, the relationship that He has with us. He's committed. He's all in. It's not a half-hearted commitment. Okay? He will not alter his mind. No matter how off base we get, God will not alter his mind or his plan. He will not. That's why he's faithful. No matter how much we are unfaithful or how much we are faithless, God will not alter his plan. 
Because without that consistency, we are doomed. We are doomed. If God changes His mind every other minute, or doesn't keep His word, we are doomed. Because what Paul said, we might as well just go eat, drink, and be merry, and die. Why serve a God who we can't rely on, who we can't depend on? We expect Him to be faithful, but we are not faithful sometimes. Because we lose track of the relationship. But why is He so forgiving? Because we know we are flesh. That's not an excuse to always be off track. Because the whole reason why we are being conforming to the image of His Son is so that we learn to walk in obedience to the Spirit. Because when Jesus was here, Jesus walked in obedience to the Father. He did, it, he did it without sinning. And we are very well capable of doing it. But we have to learn to walk by the Spirit. We have to train our, ourselves, our spirit. We have to train our soul to keep the soul in check. And to allow the Spirit to have preeminence. So we can hear from the voice of the, from the Spirit. So we know what we ought to be doing and not what to do. And what you do here is to have courage to do what He asks you to do. That's the other one. It's one thing to hear, but you can hear and disobey. Mm-hmm. But it's very important that what you hear, that you're willing to do and execute. Because that's what Jesus did, and that's what the Lord was willing, wants from, wanted from the children of Israel. He said through the prophet what he wanted done. But they weren't willing to take the next step sometimes. They were fearful, they were afraid.